Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. This will be our last message in this series in Ephesians. Um, Like many of you, I woke up one morning this week and was confronted with the reality that Russia had invaded Ukraine. Uh, My Facebook feed was filled with images of Christians in the Ukraine praying in the snow for their nation. And it really moved me. Many of them see this as a spiritual battle, and so that's why they're praying. Um, I have not experienced war, uh, only from afar. I was very young during the, in fact, I wasn't born when the Vietnam, excuse me, the Korean conflict started. Uh, I remember the Vietnam War because I had a draft number, but was not drafted. There have been numerous wars in the Middle East and various conflicts in Latin America. But uh, none of these are as pervasive as Satan's battle against the church. As Christians, we're in a battle. Yesterday, my soccer team played, and I got to watch them play at least the first half. And um, one of the things that I noticed was that they had the symbol of La Liga, which is the Spanish soccer league, and it said no war. This war has touched the world, but it's not touched the world like the battle that Satan has against the church. The Christian life is more than just a game. Soccer is just a game. I enjoy it. I enjoy participating uh, in it as a, a chaplain. I enjoy watching. I enjoy going to practices and being on the field, but it's just a game. And it won't really affect my life. I mean, if you've been in my office, you see the display I've got there, the two big giant rings in there. Uh, But that really didn't affect my life. But the Christian life is more than just a game because it has eternal consequences. And though we may not always see the specifics of the day-to-day battles, we're in the conflict. And we know this, Christ won. We're on the winning side and Satan's defeated But Paul said, even now, to be prepared so that we can stand firm in our Christian life and to put on the full armor of God. Now, as you read through the passage, you read about the armor. Here's some questions I had. Uh, What's the purpose of the armor? Pastor Mike talked a little bit about it, but what's the purpose of it? When do we put it on? How do we use it? How will it make a difference in my life? And hopefully we'll answer some of those questions this morning. So if you'll stand in honor of God's word, we're going to begin reading with verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like an like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Father, thank you again for your word. Speak to our hearts, anoint the preaching of your word that you may be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Paul told the, the Ephesians to be faithful in their Christian life because we're involved in a spiritual war, in a battle. So the question is, are we prepared? Paul says, this is how you get ready. He said, first, he says, make sure that you're fighting the right enemy. We talked about a little bit about this last week. Um, so, number one, recognize who the enemy is. Hank, and I'm, let me get his name right, Hanegraaff has written a book entitled The Covering, God's Plan to Protect You from Evil. He wrote, life was much more terrifying for the ancient people than it is for us today. They believed wholeheartedly in evil spirits who fill the air and were determined to work harm. Now in America, many of us have lost the reality of the metaphysical world. It's around us. We just deny that it's there. The words that Paul used in this passage, like powers, authorities, world rulers, are all names for different classes of evil spirits. To Paul and those first century Christ followers, the whole universe was a battleground. Christians not only had to contend with, with or the attacks of other people, they had to contend with the attacks of spiritual forces that were fighting against God. Scripture's clear that our enemy is Satan. He's real, and he laughs at those who deny his reality. The Bible tells us that he was once the chief angel until he rebelled against God and, and tried to usurp God's position and glory. He opposes God's work. He hates God's word. He perverts it. He hinders God's spirit. He, he abhors the gospel. And he doesn't want you to be faithful in the Christian life. In fact, he wants you to fail as a Christian. He has no problem with weak Christians because they often do what he wants. But he doesn't want you to be strong. The word of God says that, that Satan first appeared in the book of Genesis there in the Garden of Eden where he tempted this first couple and Adam sinned. And because sin was brought into the world, much of the world lies under his influence. Fifty-two times in the Bible he is called Satan, which means adversary. Thirty-five times he's called the devil, which means slander. John MacArthur, a pastor out in California, said, As believers grow in Christ, Satan's attacks grow as well. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're not only God's sons and servants, but as his soldiers, and a soldier's job it is to fight the enemy. Peter said, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so Peter says, resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. 
He's like a lion. So how do we resist? As Peter says, how do we stand firm? Well, Paul says we stand firm by taking up our protection, the armor of God. Paul, when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he was in a dungeon. He was in Rome in a dungeon, and, and either he was chained to or seated beside a Roman soldier. And this was the, the image he had that gave him the, the inspiration for his analogy of, of, of the spiritual battle we're in. Now, these soldiers, these Roman soldiers, were like fighting machines. As I said last week, they were trained to defend 16 square feet with their life. Think NFL defensive linemen. Strong. Think Marine Corps. Think Special Forces or SEAL Team 6. These guys were trained to never give up and never give an inch. And so Paul used the word that we're in a struggle or we wrestle, depending upon your translation. And it talks about hand-to-hand -hand combat because the enemy attacks us. He's not just out in the world doing, giving general temptation, but he attacks us. And that word, hand-to-hand -hand combat, talked about a struggle that could end up for these soldiers in life or death. So Paul says it's a real battle, a real spiritual battle. And Satan wants to defeat you. And just like the special forces have special armor, that, that they have special guns and Kevlar and, and all those kind of things, Paul says, we've got armor, we've got protection in the battle. The first piece of battle was, was a leather belt to do what the King James calls gird up the loins. That's not a word we use very often, gird. But let me tell you what it's talking about. The Roman soldiers, for their clothing, wore a tunic. It was like a, a, a huge poncho or a huge blanket with a hole cut out for the head and the arms. And it went fit down all over everything. Now, if you're in a hand-to-hand -hand battle, and you've got this blanket-like stuff sticking out all over, what's your opponent going to do? They're going to grab it and pull you down make you defenseless. And so for the soldier to be prepared, he wore a leather belt. He would take it up and wrap it up and stick it in this belt. That's called girding the loins. It means to be prepared for battle. Paul said, we need to prepare for the battle with the truth of God's word. We need to get God's truth into our lives. Because when we don't, we believe the lies of the world all around us. I mean, have you read some of the things that people post on Facebook? Like somebody says, where does that come from? It comes from the devil. It's where it comes from. But uh, it's not truth. How do we get truth into our lives? Well, we read the Word of God. We study the Word of God. We memorize the Word of God. We hear the Word of God. We meditate on the Word of God. We get it in so that it becomes a part of our life so that what we believe is truth. Because what you immerse yourself in, that's what you believe. That's what you become. If you immerse yourself in the lies of the devil, that's what you become. What happens if we don't prepare for truth? Excuse me, prepare with truth. You're open to defeat or deception. Uh, November 18, 1978, 
I don't remember where I was, but I remember what happened that day. Jonestown, Guyana. Do you remember that? 914 members of the People's Temple committed mass suicide because they believed the lie of their leader. When we don't prepare with truth, we believe the lie and we're defeated. But it's more than just having it up here. It's more than being able to quote scripture. It's it's living it out. It's applying it to our lives day by day. Get truth. So we prepare by the for battle by getting truth into our lives. Then Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate, there are several different kinds of breastplate. It might have been a, a, a leather uh, covering uh, that would cover only the front because they couldn't run away. You cover the front. It might be covered with, with bits of horn or, or hooves or with metal. Or it might be, if, if they were able to get it, a molded uh, breastplate made out of steel. The purpose was to protect the heart and the lungs and the intestines and the other vital organs. Because in the Jewish thinking, the heart represented the mind and the will. Now, I know we think of this as the mind, but for the Jews, they thought of the, the heart as the mind and the will. And the intestines, you know, whenever you get a shock, where do you feel it? Right here. That, they thought of that as your emotions or your feelings. And where does Satan attack? In the mind and the emotions. And so they needed to be protected. And our protection against these attacks of Satan is righteousness. Righteousness is to be taken and wrapped around us. Now, how do we get righteousness into our lives? Well, first, we were made righteous when we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might might be made the righteous of God in him. That's imputed righteousness. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Put on the breastplate of righteousness is to live daily walking in righteousness, to live a righteous and holy life, to be sanctified. Uh, it's, it's applying it. Uh, it's, it's holy living, and holy living helps to fight off the attacks of the devil. Now, what happens if you don't put on righteousness? You lose your joy. The greatest joy in the Christian life comes from living in a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't have joy if you're estranged from God. You might have fleeting moments of happiness. You might have happiness for a while. But happiness always fades. Joy does not fade. As long as you're walking in fellowship with God, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are around us because happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is based upon our relationship with Christ. When we're obedient and faithful, we're covered with righteousness when we retain our joy. The third piece of of armor was having our shoes, our our feet, the King James says, shod with the preparation of gospel of peace. I remember that because that's the way I memorized it. But having our feet prepared with the gospel of peace. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news I don't remember where that is, Isaiah or, or Psalms, but uh, the soldier's feet were, excuse me, the soldier's shoes or boots were important as he marched down the roads, as he climbed, as he fought. They had to be, had to be strong and sturdy. If they didn't protect their feet, if they were blistered or cut up, they couldn't stand firm. 
They might not be able to stand at all. And so they, they couldn't fight the battle. If, if a soldier couldn't stand firm, he couldn't hold his, his spear and his, his, excuse me, his, his short sword and his shield. So he needed to be able to stand firm. He, his shoe was called a caliga. It kind of looked like a, a, a hybrid between a, a boot that laced up and a sandal because it might be open at the front and in the, uh, at the toes, but it laced up. And, it, and at the bottom, it might have bits of, of metal or, or horn embedded in it so he could be, be able to stand firm. So how do we prepare our feet? Well, there are two qualities of, of peace. There's first peace with God. When we were saved, we got the peace of God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we got saved, that enmity between us and God was taken away. We have a relationship with Him. No longer are we separated by sin, but we have peace with God. But the second aspect is the peace of God. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, chapter 4, verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That peace that we experience even in the hard times. And how do we have that peace? We walk faithfully in Christ. We prepare our feet with peace by walking faithfully. You see a recurring theme, Killer? You live by faith. You walk by faith. You live a, a faithful life. That's how we put on the armor of God. Uh, the, the, the helmet and the shoes and the sword uh, were, were things that were kept ready. But the other three pieces were, were things that were to be used all the time. Never taken off uh, the belt, the breastplate, and the, and, and the shoes. So Paul says, and take up the shield of faith. Now, there were two types of, of shields that, that the Romans had. Uh, one of them was one about 24 inches round. You wore it on your arm, and you used it in hand-to-hand -hand combat to, to uh, uh, parry off the... Maybe you wouldn't use a sword, but you'd use your shield to parry off the, the, the uh, sword... Or when the um, horsemen would come along, cavalrymen would come along, and they'd take a swipe at your head, you could use the shield to protect it. The shield is the shield of faith. Uh, that, that was the small one. The second one was, was a different kind of shield. It was a, a bigger shield. It probably was about the size of as much of that door as you can see. About two foot wide, about four and a half, five foot tall. And they used these in ranks because you would hold it on your left arm and protect yourself. And the guy here would be right next to you. And you'd have all this long row of shields. And then the ones behind you could put the ones up overhead. And you were protected from what? The fiery darts that were flown, that were were shot. Here's what they did. They would line up in battle and the guys behind them would have the arrows and they'd tip them in, in, in pitch uh, or tar and set them on fire and they'd shoot them. Now if you got hit with one of those arrows 
And it had this tar on it, and it would splatter when it hit your body, and it wouldn't come off. You couldn't just wipe it off. It would burn you up. But if you had one of these shields, it was a bit about that size. It was made of wood, one piece of wood, covered with, with leather or covered with metal. And if it was leather, it was, it was soaked with water so that when the arrows hit, the fire would go out and they were protected. And he says, taking up the shield of faith, what, what are those arrows that are going out? Those are temptations. And how do we get rid of temptation? We walk by faith. We live by faith. Faith is trusting Jesus. If we trust Jesus, what are we going to do? We're going to be obedient to what Jesus says. Several years ago, a friend of mine came and did a revival at church I pastored. And uh, he was teaching his boys about faith. He said, I put them on the house. Really? They were young boys. Yeah, I put them on the house. And he said, I wanted to teach them to trust me. So I tell them to jump off and I'll catch you. I don't recommend doing this at home. But he said, as the boys jumped, they were to yell out, trust. It was Joe McKinney. And they would jump because they trusted their daddy. That's the way faith works in our lives. If we trust God, we're going to do what he says in his word. That's faith. Paul says, take up the, the shield of faith to be able to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. And then the next was the helmet of salvation. Now, Paul is not, well, the helmet, by the way, was, was a piece of either leather covered with, with metal or, or metal. Anyway, it, was, it, it had cheap pieces to cover the face, and it was to protect you if, if you didn't catch the, the sword with your shield on your arm, protect your head. Uh, when you were saved, you, you got salvation. But the Bible talks about salvation three different ways. It talks about salvation in the past, salvation in the present, salvation in the future. Salvation in the past is justification, when you were made right with God. Sanctification, which is being made holy. And glorification is when we're, we graduate into God's presence. Those are the three ways the word saved are used in the New Testament. Now, Paul here is not taking, talking about justification. That's our past. He's talking about sanctification. We put on the helmet of salvation by taking up sanctification. What is that? That's holy living. It's being made holy, being made more and more like Jesus. And how are we made more and more like Jesus? Well, we're faithful to the Word of God. We walk in fellowship. We exercise our faith. We do what God says. And He makes us holy. And so Paul says... Take up the helmet of salvation by living for Jesus. Again, that same theme coming up over and over again. Uh, it helps us to grow to maturity so that we can help other people come to Christ and grow in Christ. And then there's the sword. Pastor Mike talked about it this morning. 
There were two different swords that the, that the Roman soldiers used. The, the big long sword was the one that was usually used by the cavalrymen, but the one Paul was talking about was a short sword. It's called a machaira. Uh, it was about 6 to 18 inches long, depending on what, who made it. It was carried in a, a sheath on your waistband and was always to be ready. And Paul, as Pastor Mike said, the, the, the sword was used in two ways. First, it was what used for defense. To parry the thrust, I think that's the way they use, talk about it in, in uh, sword fighting, to parry the thrust, to, to keep the other person from stabbing you. If they stabbed you, you protected. That was defensively. But it was also to be used in offense. Oh, let me tell you how to use it defensively. Remember when Jesus was tempted? How did he respond? Always with the word of God. We need to get the Word of God into our lives. We need to memorize the Word of God. We need to be familiar with it. We need to know what it says. Because sometimes people think, well, God's Word says this and it doesn't. I had a friend of, of my son say, you know, God's Word says God helps those that help themselves. Oh, really? Yeah, it's right there in the book of Hesitations. Right after the book of Nehemiah. No, it doesn't say that. There's another one that, that sounds much more holy. God will never give you more than you can handle. He always gives you more than you can handle. Why? So you'll learn to trust in Him. But we need to get the Word of God in our lives so when we're tempted by Satan, we can respond with the Word of God. That's the way Jesus did. And then the offensive weapon. We enter into Satan's domain he comes to take prisoners. We take, come to give life. We share the gospel so people can know Jesus. And that's attacking Satan's domain because we're bringing them from the darkness to light. We're bringing them from lostness to salvation. And so we need to use the Word of God. And so we need to know the Word of God so we can share the Word of God. And people say, I could never share my faith. Yes, you can. You can share what happened to you. Nobody knows what happens happened to you more than you do. The writer of, of one of our hymns says, I once was lost, but now I'm fine, found, was blind, but now I see. That's a testimony. The man that was blind says, I don't know who he was, but he made me, he put this stuff on my eyes and made me wash my eyes, and now I see. That's a testimony. I prayed to trust Jesus as Lord my Savior, and he changed my life. That's a testimony. And we need to use that and say, and you can do it too. Trust Jesus. You may not know all the words, you may not know everything about salvation. I don't. But that's okay. Share what your experience. And we're attacking. And Paul says we do all these things. We can stand firm. But then Paul says we need to be ready for the expected. I have a pet peeve. I have a lot of them. You can ask my wife. But I, one of my pet peeves is when somebody says something that's really stupid. Some of you all have that same pet peeve, don't you? 
One of those things that people say that it kind of sounds good, but really it's not. We need to be prepared for the unexpected. What? If we're prepared, it's not unexpected. If it's unexpected, how do we prepare? But Paul says there is coming a battle and we need to be prepared. So how do you prepare? How does Paul say to prepare? Verse 18, pray at all times in the Spirit. And then he says, and with every prayer and request, stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So we pray. And we pray. And we pray and we pray for one another. And Paul says, and pray for me so that when I open my mouth, I can be faithful to share the gospel uh, as I should. Paul says, pray I might be bold enough Pray for Paul to be bold. If Paul thought he, he needed prayer to be bold, we all need that. I hope you're praying for each other that. But Paul says, here's how we get prepared for the battle. Pray. Pray in the Spirit. Pray with perseverance. Pray for one another. Pray for boldness. Pray for victory in the battle. Pray. That's how we prepare. Because we are in a battle, whether we want to be or not. We're in a battle. And you need to make sure you're ready. You need to make sure that you remember that the enemy is Satan. And he hates you. And he hates the Word of God. He's going to twist it and pervert it. And he wants you to fail in your Christian life. So Paul says, prepare. Put on the whole armor of God. Oh, thank you.